Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. Good afternoon. This is Evening Words. I'm your guest host for the week, Dara Lise Lyons. I'm going to jump right in. We've got a fascinating guest uh, with us to start off this four o'clock hour. Deja Amos is a Nurtured Heart Approach Advanced Trainer and the Chief Development Officer at Tri-County CMO. The Tri-County Care Management Organization takes a family-focused and community-based leadership role in supporting the needs of youth who are experiencing behavioral, emotional, social, developmental, and mental health challenges. Welcome, Deja. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. No problem. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I want to launch right in and just ask, how did you come to this work? What got you started in this work? Ah, in the field or specifically with our race and gender equity work? Well, I get, let's do both. Let's start off with how you got into the field and then why race and gender equity has become such a passion of of yours. Okay. Um, I think within the field, my family, uh, where I come from a family of people within the helping profession. Um, and so it was almost like a foregone conclusion that when I came out of college, I would be a social worker. Uh, and I tried to fight it, but it, it didn't work. <laughs> I realized this is, this is what I have to be doing. I love it. It's my calling. Mm. And then it's, it's almost the same for the work we're doing, especially within my agency. I think and working closely with families, I could see the disparities and it, I just really felt like we needed to do something that I just couldn't stand by. And I had a CEO who agreed. Yeah. Now, when you say disparities, can you share with me kind of like what those might look like along the lines of race or gender and and, and why those would be so uh, catastrophic or impactful to d- different communities? Yeah, you know, um, what came to mind when you said that was a specific story um, about a family that um, I was working with that was a family, a black family, who happened to be working with a white DCPNP worker. DCPNP is New Jersey's Child Protection Service Agency. Mm-hmm. So it was a white DCPNP worker, a white care manager, that's uh, our agency, um, their whole team. Um, and They had a lot of, uh, I would say, just a lot of preconceived notions about what parenting needed to look like, about why this woman was doing the things that she was doing. Um, And it led to um, the youth. He was a child being removed from her care. And it was not until we had an evaluation. It was so crazy by... um, a psychologist who really uh, looks at race and gender equity and looks at that work and who looked at what was happening with the family and said, I really feel like this family is being is um, a victim of racism. I don't think that this is a poor mother. I think that she has some economic concerns that need to be dealt with. She has some gaps in her knowledge in terms of medical care, but those can all be given to her. She can parent very safely. She loves this kid. There's no reason that this child should have been removed. And that I say, I, I just, I give that story to say, I was like, wow, this is what I was feeling. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't, I thought, oh, I'm just going to excuse it. It is what it is. But no, it, you know, 
it was real. <laughs> I got a little teary eyed as you were talking about that because I was thinking about just the impact on that child, the impact on the parent. I don't know if there were other children in the home or whatever, but like how catastrophic that can be and traumatic for someone on the basis of a lack of cross uh, cultural competency. Right. It, exactly. It, it, it was just, I mean, it's horrible to think about. And that's just one youth. But I mean, we could times that number. And I just, I, I do get upset when I think about the other youth this is probably happening to who maybe don't have a strong of a voice to, to advocate for them. So yes, yeah. but that story ends very happily. The mother, she got the education she needed about the medical condition the youth had, and they were able to graduate successfully from the program, reunite and be happy. Yeah. I wonder if the reverse happens though too, and this is just me speculating, but like if if maybe parents who aren't fit or the home isn't as safe, but they happen to be white or they happen to um, perhaps there's like some, uh, you know, happen to be a different gender or whatever, like if there's um, inequities that go the other way where people are being put in unhealthy or unsafe conditions as a result of their race, perhaps, or gender. It's so funny you say that <laughs> because I, you know, I chuckle because yes, I, you know, I, I agree. And I think absolutely there is. Um, and there's so many situations where we're working with youth and families within the agency. And I'm like, I really don't understand what's happening here. You know, yeah. like why, why is this youth allowed to stay? Mm-hmm. What What's going on? You know? So I would say, yes, that definitely happens. You know, and I was going to ask you, because I know that the approach of Tri-County CMO is very family focused. And I wonder, like, how working within different family structures or in the absence of a consistent family unit might play out in terms of your wanting to support young people. I'm not sure I understand. I'm sorry. Yeah, sure. So I guess I'm just curious because I know families are structured differently, right? So some people might be being raised by a grandparent or being raised by a cousin or they might live with a sibling or, um, you know, have two moms in the home or whatever. Like, you know, there's all these different kinds of family structures. And I'm wondering how that plays into people's care or if, you know, if it if it does, if things look different based on the different family structures. You know, I think there could be some bias that happens and things look different. It's not supposed to because you're supposed to go into a family's home, no matter who that family is and who and who they identify as family. Right. It could even be people who aren't related, but there's family. That's the auntie or or uncle, whatever. Um, You're supposed to go into the home, see who they identify as family and ask the same questions of what are you looking for? What are your goals? What do you see as your needs, right? It doesn't matter what the structure is. You're supposed to do the same thing um, and let the family lead no matter what it looks like. That's really interesting to let the family lead. I, I like that. I feel like there's such humility in that. Ideally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. ideally, right? There's right, in right. <laughs> so true. It's so true. Well, I think we all have our own autonomy, right? Yeah. You know, we all we all want to be treated like we're responsible for our own choices. Mm. And, um, I think we, that's a right that we can give to families. So how do young folks like come to Tri County? Like, what kind of what is the process? Because I know you deal with different 
issues affecting juveniles and like, tell me a little bit about that onboarding process and what that looks like. So it's interesting. Um, So the state of New Jersey has a care management organization for every county. And um, the referrals actually go through a third party organization. Like no one can call us up and say, we want care management services. So there's a bit of a gatekeeping aspect Mm. because what happens is they have to call this third party perform care and they have to basically do an assessment where they're telling their story. Okay. And the person has to agree that they need CMO services or they send out a therapist who does this long assessment and they might say, yes, they qualify for care management services. And then that's how they come to the agency. So like we get every day from uh, perform care, a list of here are the youth that have been assigned to you mm-hmm. and we're a no eject, no reject. So you know, we can't say no to families unless they don't live in our geographical area. Okay. Um, yeah. If a youth is court involved, it could be a little bit quicker. A judge can court order them to open to our services. But we are voluntary. Even yeah. if we're court ordered, if a youth doesn't want to work with us, they don't want to work with us. Really? Yes. <laughs> Sometimes people don't like that. Yes. No, I mean, I like that. I think about myself. Oh, I was such a wayward uh, teenager. I skipped 84 out of 184 school days in my junior year. I don't know how I how I've managed to function this long. But I know that when I was young, if I didn't want to do something, even if I was there, I wasn't going to get anything out of it. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's different ways to manage that. But Ultimately, there's got to be some buy-in from a youth or else it's not going to work. And the family. Yeah, for sure. Um, You're listening to Word Radio on 900 AM, 96.1 FM, streaming live on wordradio.com, Facebook Live, and the Word Radio app. Um, I'm Dara Lise Lyons, your guest host for Evening Words, speaking with Deja Amos, who's the Chief Development Officer at Tri-County CMO and a Nurtured Heart Approach Advanced Trainer. So Deja, what is Nurtured Heart? Like, (laughs) it's Sounds wonderful and beautiful, and uh, and I want to know more. <laughs> <laughs> what is nurtured heart? So it's um, it is an approach about relationship building, is what I'm going to say. And so what I mean by that is, it's about looking at how you're interacting with other people, with youth. Um, It was created specifically for youth, but really it could be for adults. And it's looking at where are you spending your energy? You know, what what are you actively paying attention to? And just saying, you know what, I am going to notice the good, I guess, for lack of a better word. I'm going to look at this person who's in front of me Mm. and just really notice what is going right. And I'm going to tell them out loud in detail what I see and what that says about them. And there's all these stands that go along with it. There's three stands if you want to like get more specific and more to it. (laughs) You know, I, I wonder, I feel like that would be such a rich experience for youth, especially youth who maybe aren't often told what they're doing well or right, you know, and and are used to kind of being yelled at or put down or whatever. And I also would imagine it might take a few times for them to integrate that or, or believe what they're being told that's positive and good about them. I think so, but you'd be surprised. I, I really feel like 
as human beings, we want connection in a positive way. Yeah. And so when it's finally given to us, we just want more of it and we eat it up. Mm. Um, I think when it takes a long time, there's a lot of other stuff that's going on. But at the core, we want we want relationships with each other, you know, and this is a healthy way to build those relationships. I love that. So are you or who's ever kind of in that um, in that role as a nurtured heart practitioner? Is that person doing that? Or are they sort of equipping families with the skills to be able to do that for each other? So you would want to equip a family with the skills so they could do it with each other. Um, The approach itself was created by a gentleman named Howard Glasser. And so New Jersey, many years ago, I'm really bad with years. I don't remember when, (laughs) decided to adopt this approach because of the fact that it's not clinical. Yeah, Uh, You don't need a license to do it. Anybody can be taught it and then can go and do it in their own relationships or with their families and with their children. And the model is you learn it and then you do it and then spread it to the people around you. So can you, I know you gave a story earlier. Um, Can you like give a story about kind of using that technique in a way that it's supported relationship building, whether it's a personal or professional example of that? Um, you know, this may not exactly answer your question, but I, I like this story because so my passion when I was a care manager doing correct, uh, direct care work was working with youth who were involved in the juvenile justice system. Mm. And um, I remember even as I, you know, you move up the the ladder. So I'm moving away from working with families. Sometimes I would go to meetings and like help out other care managers and supervisors because I had experience in the field. And so I remember going to this meeting. And so like, just like imagine this, it's a meeting to talk about a youth who was in the detention center. Mm -hmm. um, And he was in the detention center for allegedly trying to burn down his home. He was adopted. And so everybody was talking about him saying that he was trying to burn down the home and his uh, adoptive parents. Oh, wow. And so I'm in this meeting and there are, there's all of these lawyers present. There is the youth's attorney is present. There is a DCP and P worker because they're involved. There's the supervisor, there's our team. Like, so there's all these professionals around a table yeah. to talk about this youth. The youth is not there. <laughs> mm. um, and there isn't like, there's no family person for the youth present at all. And now we're supposed to sit here and create this plan. So I'm listening to all of these people talk. And I remember getting struck by the fact that they weren't even using his name (laughs) and everybody was just calling him a fire setter. And so I remember I had to stop. I had to stop the meeting, Mm. which usually I try to be respectful, (laughs) but I just, I couldn't do it anymore. And I had to stop and I had to say, listen, like, we're calling this youth a fire setter and I know what he's accused of doing, but he didn't set a fire. So I'm not sure that fire setter is correct Mm -hmm. Two, Can we look at what is he doing right now? So going back to nurtured heart and thinking about what's going well, like, okay, this youth has this portfolio that maybe is really negative and maybe he was trying, I don't know, but maybe he was trying to hurt his biological parents. Maybe we should think about why he was going to those extreme behaviors. But anyway, let's look at what is he doing right now in this moment? And he's, he's amazing. He's, he's doing everything he's supposed to do. He's getting along with the peers in the detention center, doing his work. The officers have nothing but nice things to say about him. 
Mm-hmm. Why are we talking about that? Right. Why aren't yeah. we, why don't we have this kid at the table and kind of talking to him about how, look at all of these things that you're doing well, look mm-hmm. at what you're capable of so that you can move forward and get past this and be a productive member of society and be somebody who's worthy of love. Right. Like yeah. I just was, you know, I just, I think about that all of the time because for me, that is a moment that some that happens, like that situation yeah. for all of these kids that are in all of these agencies that we create. And sometimes we just need to stop and think about the youth, think about the, what they're doing right and let them know so we can build a relationship with them. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love that. I, I'm so glad that you brought that example out. I was, you know, I was doing some research the other day for another project that I'm working on. And I think the statistic is something close to like 80 percent of people who are currently incarcerated didn't play as children. Like they didn't have play in, in their life and joy in their life. And and um, and I think the statistic for those who commit like um you know, mass shootings is like 90% of folks who commit mass shootings didn't have play and joy as, as children. And I'm not excusing that behavior. And there is a connection clearly by how people are treated and the level of dehumanization and how they, who they grow up to be. And so I think the moment, like the one that you just gave is so important because how people are treated when they're young tends to shape their behavior as they age agreed we're not living in a vacuum right (laughs) we're reacting to what's around us (laughs) yeah yeah so as as you pointed out you know you you have moved out of kind of direct uh clinical social work and so what does a development officer do like what 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 is your current role can you kind of uh explain that to me give me five more years and okay. i'll tell you um, <laughs> uh so currently i am a, i would call myself a jack of all trades so i oversee two different departments in the agency one is training and so that's training of our staff as well as what are some trainings that we could potentially be offering to the community. And for us as an agency, we're really focused on trainings around race and gender equity and DEI work and um, like within that space. And then the other half of the department is our uh, community engagement and resource department. Mm -hmm. So it's about how are we as Tri-County CMO engaging with our community partners and what resources are there in the community that we can bring back to our staff and our care managers? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I have a bunch more questions about community <laughs> engagement and your DEI work. I'm sure that um, some of you listening may have questions. If you have a question for Deja, feel free to call us at 215-634-8065. Again, that's 215-634-8065. This is a conversation with Deja Amos. Um, you're listening to Evening Words. We're going to take a very quick break and then we will be right back. Um, with some more questions. Thank you, Deja, so much. You're listening to Evening Words on WURD, Progressive Black Talk Media. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Word Radio on 900 AM, 96.1 FM, streaming live on wordradio.com, Facebook Live, or the Word Radio app. This is Evening Words. I'm your host, Dara Lise Lyons, speaking with Deja Amos, who is the Chief Development Officer at Tri-County CMO and a Nurtured Heart Approach Advanced Trainer. Right before the break, Deja was speaking about her um, organization's investment in race and gender equity, in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging work. And so, uh, Deja, I'd love for you to talk about some of those initiatives, both within the agency and then in terms of the support that you bring to the families that you serve. So um, I'm going to start with with within the agency, because I think the things that we do within the agency ultimately are to assist our families. Mm-hmm. Um, one major thing we do is, you know, we don't shy away from having a conversation about uh, the intersectionality that could be playing out with a family or coworkers and in, mm-hmm. in situations, you know, we don't shy away from talking about race, gender, talking about what could potentially be a racist system that this family is dealing with, you know, mm-hmm. like we have those conversations um, and we have staff talk about different things every month. Mm-hmm. We require them to come to, um, things that we call caucuses where we're, we're having real conversations about different topics yeah. because we feel like this is the real world. We, we don't work in a box, you know, we're all being affected by these other things. So we require attendance at these monthly conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that d- does, what we feel like it does is it opens our eyes to things that maybe we um know about but are silent about so an example is you know our latinx staff were really vocal in these conversations about how challenging it is to work with their spanish-speaking families who don't have the resources they need who don't have somebody who could translate for them Mm -hmm. and so our you know i think this is something that they've dealt with for years but it wasn't until we started having these conversations and really listening to what they had to Mm -hmm. say that we said you know what we can't be complacent and just say, oh, it is what it is, right? The family doesn't speak English. We can't do anything if the school doesn't have a translator, mm-hmm. you know, and we started thinking about, well, what are things that we can control? What are strategies that we can do? Like providing the family with a translation device so that if they end up at a meeting where their care manager is not at, they still can um, have something to translate for them so yeah. that they'll know what's going on. You know, it was reaching out to agencies to find somebody who will translate documents for us instead of relying on our staff to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like little things like that that we do within the agency that these conversations help with because they highlight things that maybe we would have not necessarily ignored, but thought there was nothing we could do about it when sometimes there is something you could do. And then in the community, it's about trying to have the conversation in the community. Mm -hmm. Um, I currently co-chair our race, ethnicity, inclusion committee within Somerset County's juvenile justice system Mm -hmm. to look at the disparities in the juvenile justice system in in, um, Somerset County and like think about, hey, you know, what what could we possibly do about this? You know, like, no, 
it's not okay to say, well, this is just how it is. We have no control. We can, we have control over this. So what can we do? And part of that is, again, having the conversations with county people. It's uh, we go, we're going to different municipality meetings to present the numbers, to show them you have a problem in your municipality. What could we do about it? So it's, it's things like that that we do as an agency. And I think there's a, a body of research that shows that just making people aware of things does start change you know it's not enough to to move the needle the whole way but that it does actually hold people accountable and and um and create an environment where change has to happen exactly an empowerment of change um i'm sorry an environment of change and then an an environment where people feel empowered to speak up yeah Right. Well, and earlier you said, you know, we do these little things. And I would imagine that, like, you know, it might seem like small modifications on behalf of the agency, but the ramification in people's lives is huge. You know, I would imagine being a family member who, you know, where English is perhaps a second language or whatever, sitting in a meeting, not understanding or not having the the ability to advocate. And then just with a a device, like suddenly that does give a level of agency or a level of understanding. And I think it, it's probably a game changer for these families, even if it's not a huge lift on the part of Tri-County. Absolutely. And, and, and one thing is, you know, it started out specifically because our care managers working with Spanish speaking families were talking about it, but it, but that's a tactic for, as you said, anyone who doesn't speak English, like it was something that helped infinitely amount, um, amount of families. Yeah, right. And I I also believe that, you know, people speak differently when they know they're being heard, too. So I wonder if even the nature of the conversations kind of change, but perhaps I'm just projecting my own kind of skepticism about human beings onto the situations. No, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and so and you mentioned community engagement right before the break. Like, so what, what does that look like? Um, so I, I spoke about, um, one of the committees that I co-chair yeah. that's out in the community. And then, um, we've done some work at schools where we've done a screening of a documentary that was specifically talking about race and how that shows up in the education system. Mm. So like as an organization, we've gone and helped facilitate the conversation yeah. with staff members at the school. We've done a screening of, um, it was a documentary that talks about the slave, uh, the history of slavery in New Jersey, mm-hmm. Price of Science. We've, you know, we um, hosted that screening. So we do things like that within the community to highlight things that maybe people aren't talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we've done an LGBTQIA plus um, training for, for the community as well. Yeah. So really anything, I guess, if they ask, we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it sounds like sometimes they don't even have to ask, which is, you know, like, which is yeah, really that, cool too. Yeah. That is very true and very important. Sometimes it's about not waiting for them to ask. It's saying, here, we have this perfectly laid out thing for you. Just say yes and we'll do it. <laughs> I love that. And so, okay, so Tri-County's areas of focus, according to your website, are mental health, substance use, developmental disabilities, court involvement, and trouble in school. And I know that young people might be experiencing one or more of these issues, you know, simul- simultaneously. And so... I- if someone comes to you because of a mental health concern or a substance use issue or developmental disability, like 
what are kind of what are your goals for that person? Is it self-sufficiency? Is it family sufficiency? Like what kind of what are you hoping to be able to give them? Uh, I would say we're hoping to be able to give them to leave that family in person feeling empowered and that they're able to manage on their own. They're able to access resources in the community. They're able to function. And really, we want to like work ourselves out of a job. And we want the family to to not need us. Yeah. anything more specific than that. Like, so like, how do you get to that point is really up to the family. And we follow a wraparound process, which involves a child and family team where everybody comes together to talk about what do we feel like the needs are. The Mm -hmm. family has to agree that these are the needs. And then they come up with strategies for each of those needs. And they have to agree on those strategies as well. If the family doesn't want to do it, it doesn't go in the plan. Yeah. Wow. I am really loving that you're bringing everything back to empowerment. And I'm curious, like how to balance both those things when you're looking at something like a structural inequity or a system that is racist or biased in some way, or, you know, like, and also looking to empower people, like how do you kind of support people and acknowledging, yeah, maybe the, the, like the situation isn't as supportive for you as it might be for someone else, but there's still empowerment available here. Um, Maybe it's going to a meeting with that person and you let, and maybe it's before the meeting, you talk out things with them and sort of say, okay, what is it that you want to say? Here are my suggestions for how, you know, what might work so that the school hears it or a judge understands what you're asking for or social services. Um, But you try as much as possible to have the conversation be led by the family. And then Mm. when they need you, you step in, you know, you help out, uh, but don't take over, right? Really let them lead their meeting. Yeah. And I've one example. No, I love that example. I think too, the the earlier we can like support youths in having these skills, the the better equipped they're gonna be as they move on throughout the lifespan. Um, and I'm wondering if someone is listening to this and is recognizing that there is a young person in their life who maybe has a mental health issue or a substance abuse issue or a developmental disability or some court involvement or trouble in school, like kind of what are some suggestions that you have for meeting that person where they are? I mean, I know this isn't clinical advice, but just like, you know, for (laughs) someone listening, it's sort of like, how do I, you know, how do I support this person that I love um, in, you know, in getting the help that they need maybe? Like, how do I be an ally for this youth? You know, the first thing I thought of when you said that was let them know you love them, Mm. you know? Let them know that you're coming from a place of support and kindness and um, let them know that I could be here for you, right? I could drive you to whatever it is I think you need help with. Um, But really coming from a place of loving kindness Mm -hmm. and letting them know that so that they can feel it. Yeah. I feel like that's like step one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It goes right back to what you were saying before, right? Like that everybody, everybody needs love. We all crave that. And I think it's a great foundation for positive change and acknowledgement of the changes that people have already made and the good things that we're already doing. Um, We have a call in question. Woody from Winfield is on the line. Hey, welcome. Welcome to the air, Woody. Thank you very much. I appreciate this program and it's really sounding 
great, and we were really listening. I have uh, customers coming in and out of the barbershop, and my concept is barbershop talk, working on the head and in the head. <laughs> so when these young men sit in the chair, they share a lot more than they thought they were going to because I have a way of asking questions about yourself. Mm. And one of the things is me, myself, and I. <laughs> three and one are we. When all three agree, happy are we. When all three disagree, then I, the individual, become all divided. Mm. Once you mm. understand that, you're more than just what you're looking at in the mirror. Then you confess to yourself about yourself. Mm. And from that, I've gotten so much good stuff that these guys come back way after they're grown now and, and share with me, hey man, some of the things you were saying, <clears throat> I share with my kids some of the poetry you write. I've shared with my kids. I, I write in Philadelphia Real Home Magazine. I did an article this month, and it's uh, an article on Jesse Jackson. He's one of the people that came through the shop when he ran for president, and I just thought yeah. that was such an honor that I had to write about it. So you go online, Barbershop Talk, HFD, like Harry Frank David org. You'll be able to see some of the articles and things that I've written. But I do all of this to talk to these kids. Remember, Barbershop Talk, working on the head and in the head, is real. So yeah. I just appreciate what you're saying today. But you have to let them know body, mind, and spirit mm. are with you all the time. Now, once we start doing it, I think you're going to get a lot more out of what you're doing. Thank you so much, Woody. Thank you for your comment. And so, yeah, I'd love to kind of uh, thank you again, Woody, and uh, love what you're doing in the community. I'd love to kind of turn that into a question and Deja ask you like how you kind of support the holistic person, the holistic young person, um, you know, in your agency and how that's part of the plan. Okay. Um, I love that comment, by the way, <laughs> running through my head. But so, or you could um, just comment on what came up yeah. for you and ignore my question altogether. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I can do both, right? Okay, um, great. So, no, well, well, what I liked about what the comment is that's not, you know, some people think the only thing that's going to work is like this clinical thing where you're going to an office and talking to someone over a desk. And, mm. you know, what he just brought up is how like it just looks so different for young people. Right. When it really works. So I just love that. But anyway, um, <laughs> within the agency, um, what do we do to, oh, to support the whole person? So. We actually, we follow, I, I think I mentioned the wraparound approach. Yeah. And one of the things that um, that c comes along with that is the fact that you're not just looking at one thing. Like you are acknowledging that here is a youth who is standing in front of you. Mm. And that youth has a, ha, has a lot of systems they're working within, a lot of people that they are interacting with. And they themselves, they have, you know, a mind, they have a body, they have a spirit. And so we do something called a strength and needs assessment where we're asking questions about all of those things. So you're asking about their physical health. You're asking about their mental health and you're also asking about their spiritual health. Mm. Um, and then based off of the answers, you're coming up with a plan for whatever, wherever it sees that there's a need. So if you have a youth who's says, I don't know, I used to go to church, but now I don't go anymore because I didn't like that. I didn't like that church. You might talk to the youth about, well, okay, maybe you don't have to go to church, but what what spiritual practice do you have? Mm -hmm. Is that something you're interested in working on? Do you want to maybe look up different things? That could become a part of their plan. Mm. Yeah, I I I love that. And I I I mean, 
my own personal experience is that if I'm invested in something and I'm part of the process of coming up with something, I am way more likely to follow through with it. Because yes. I, as a as a grown woman, don't like being told what to do. <laughs> and, and, I, and I really didn't like it, you know, 30 some odd years ago. So, right. yeah. Exactly. exactly. So when you say youth, kind of what age range are, are you working with within Tri-County? Uh, so three to 21. Um, yeah. So really uh, all stages of the adolescent and youth children. Yeah. Just not an infant. <laughs> right. Right. But that must take, I mean, are your social workers, uh, does, does the same social worker have pe- people who are three and people who are 21 or do they, people sort of specialize by age? So the way it works is our staff, our care managers themselves, like they might have a social work degree, but like okay. what they're doing is they're connecting if to um, like if, if you need uh, a therapist, mm-hmm. they're not the therapist. They're connecting to a therapist. So our staff could have a three-year-old and they could have a 16-year-old, um, but their plans would look very different. I, and who they're connected to could look very different. Right. And I think the framing of the languaging of care manager really says a lot, right? Because they're, yeah. they're managing the care, but not necessarily like the provider in terms of being a therapist or whatever, but they're kind of like the the glue and the connective tissue and the uh the resource and the and and all that. Yes. Yeah. How yeah. long does helping people connect to their community? And I know you said that your goal is to kind of work yourself out of a job, but how yeah. long do people typically um, stay with you for? <laughs> oh, that's a million dollar question, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, it could vary. Um, I think the average, I think that is supposed to be nine months. Well, I said average, but I think goal. Yeah. Like we could have someone who's here for six months. We could have someone who's been here for three years, especially if they're a youth living with an intellectual or developmental disability Mm. that might take a little bit longer to find resources for, to find the plan that works. So they could be here three, five years. So the time frame just really varies. As long as you demonstrate that you still need a need, you still have a need and you still want to work with CMO, you are going to work with CMO. I love that. Do you ever hear stories from people who have like um, kind of moved moved beyond your um, their relationship with you? Do they ever kind of come back and graduated? Yeah, like I remember. I'm supposed to have you ask that. Okay, (laughs) I remember the first youth that I was ever assigned. So when I started here, uh, almost 14 years ago. and I remember I was, I felt like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, the, the youth, she had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. She had very severe ups and downs and just the family didn't know how they were going to manage. And she had a lot of issues with her social relationships. Mm-hmm. And she was also a victim of sexual assault. So there was like all of yeah. these things. And I just remember getting an email from her mother, like, Five years later, wow. and she was just like, I just want you to know she's doing amazingly well. Mm-hmm. You you really helped us um, get connected, settling down. She's been in a um, significant long-term relationship that's actually healthy for her. Wow, yeah. So it was just like, 
you know, like, oh my gosh, the sun came out. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, I love that. I, and I'm loving that you're telling stories. I feel like stories are for me what really cement uh, lessons or like the emotionality or the meaning behind something. Um, you're listening to Word Radio on 900 AM, 96.1 FM, streaming live on wordradio.com, Facebook Live, and the Word Radio app. I'm Dara Lise Lyons. This is Evening Words. We're speaking with Deja Amos, the Chief Development Officer for Tri-County CMO. We're going to take a super quick break and be right back with more questions. You're listening to Evening Words on WURD, Progressive Black Talk Media. Welcome back to Evening Words. I'm your guest host, Darylise Lyons, speaking with Deja Amos, the Chief Development Officer at Tri-County CMO. Um, Deja, you've brought the focus back to love a number of times, like, and the importance of showing people that they're loved. And, you know, I, I think about how love looks so different and is expressed so differently on the basis of culture and community and who we are and, you know, and where we come from. And I'm just sort of curious, like, as you're working within families, how you support families and being able to recognize the love that is already there. Um that already exists that might not be being expressed in appropriate or helpful ways. How we assist families in recognizing that? Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. How you assist them in like recognizing and and exp- receiving and expressing it in ways that are, are productive. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Okay. Um, sometimes it's about, I, I don't know why, but I'm thinking of, working with a family. And sometimes I've had to say like, this shows they love you. Right. Like, like I've had to sort of spell it out Mm. sometimes for a family who maybe wasn't seeing it. Um, Not sure if that answered your question, but that's where my mind went. And then, um, you know, sometimes it's about giving different examples or giving like alternatives maybe to, to saying, okay, I know like you're showing this, but this is how you show your love. Would you consider doing this, you know, and like giving them other options and maybe they'll say yes. Hopefully they'll say yes. <laughs> they think it works for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, you're in a leadership position within Tri-County um, responsible for overseeing the actual work that's happening and the actual care management that's going on. But also the emotional wellness and care of your people, the people that work for you that report to you. Yeah. So how do you how do you juggle that? Those are oh, how do I juggle that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, overseeing, I mean, you, <laughs> giving people space you know, mm. to to express how they're feeling to talk to you about what's going on, making sure that they know there's always an open door, someone who can help manage things. Yeah. But are you asking how do I juggle that? Individual? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, you can answer that. That was not, but let's go with that. Please answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't want to answer. Okay. That. All right. <laughs> you do not have to. Well, and you know, I know that you do the caucuses and you mentioned that and I, and I would love to know sort of maybe, um, a moment that came up in a caucus or a, to- or a topic that was a particularly impactful or um, might kind of showcase or highlight um, the work that you're doing to really bring DEI initiatives to your organization. 
um, I would say one really impactful caucus that we had was there was an incident um, in New Jersey and Bridgewater, mm. uh, which is in one of our counties. And actually our office building is like a minute from where this happened, where a youth was um, put into handcuffs, a, oh, a black wow. A black appearing youth was put into handcuffs while fighting um, a youth who appeared to be white. And the youth who appeared to be white was not put in handcuffs. And it was caught on video and it was very clear that there was really no difference between the two. But the police officers reacted very differently to the two. Um, And because that was in our county, like in our backyard, Potentially, um, it affected some of our youth who were enrolled in the CMO because they knew the boys. Mm. Uh, we had a caucus about it and we had a very frank conversation about it and about some of the things that um, our care managers have seen their youth go through or some care managers talk about what they have gone through, mm. um, which was, I think, very cathartic for some people. Yeah. Um, and for other people, it, it kind of opened their eyes a little bit to, to yes, like this is a reality that um, our youth of color in the agency are potentially living in. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think about with privilege, right, is that those with a certain type of privilege don't have to think about the things that those without that privilege think about and live and are hypervigilant to, you know, all the time. And I think the fact that you're having those conversations, both with people that might have lived experience of these issues and with people that have like have no context, no reference, it's not part of their lived experience, I think is really important and uh, challenging, possibly, perhaps, but also uh, fruitful, really. And one thing to highlight is that we give spaces where, you know, the, the caucuses sometimes are separate. So sometimes there's caucuses where you're joining the group for how you identify racially. So maybe you're joining the white caucus if you identify as white, or maybe you're joining the BIPOC caucus if you identify as um, Black, Indigenous, person of color. And the reason I'm highlighting that is because, you know, sometimes people of color are put into a position where they're telling their story and it could be really kind of re-traumatizing. Right. And, and like, we firmly believe that it's not a person of color's responsibility to teach someone of privilege what they've had to go through. Mm -hmm. So we've created these spaces where you can safely talk about your experiences, but it's not in a way where you feel responsible for another person's learning. Mm -hmm. I love that. Is there anything you want to talk about that I didn't ask you about or anything you'd want to say that we didn't cover? Uh, I don't think so. You you know, just kind of funny. You've said my title many times and I do not use it ever. And I, (laughs) I want you to know that I said, I need to own my title. I need to own my position in the agency and use this title more. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. Part of the reason I said it many times is because this is a call in show. And so if people are just joining us, you know, later in the in the hour or whatever, it's good to let them know. But yeah, I think you're pointing to something like this lack of self-celebration that I think we need to cut that out, right? And just celebrate ourselves and own own all the goodness. Um, yeah. And so I know that people can't sort of contact your agency directly if they 
are wanting to work with you or have a youth that they might want to work with you that you they need a referral. But is there anything you want to shout out and share? Is there, you know, do you want to give contact information in case someone listening wants to kind of get in touch? Um, what, what would be supportive for you? Yeah. So, okay. If someone feels like uh, you have to be a resident of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So, but if someone feels like they know a family in New Jersey or they are a family in New Jersey and they want services from their se- for themselves, the number to call is um, 877-652-7624. So that's 877-652-7624. It's 24-7 um, number, perform care. And you would call and just say, like, you feel like you're in a moment of crisis and you need assistance for your child. Um, specifically for Tri-County CMO, if you just or trying to get more information about us, you can go to our website. Um, it's super easy. It's www.tricountycmo.org. Or you can call us at 908-526-3900. Um, and I don't remember the extension, <laughs> but um, you can hit, you'll listen to the prompts and just the extension to leave a message. And then we will get back to you and help answer any general questions you might have. Yay. Well, thank you so much, Deja, for joining me for this really rich and and wonderful conversation. Um, Again, Deja Amos is the Chief Development Officer at Tri-County CMO. I'm going to get that title in one more time. (laughs) Um, We're going to take a quick break and then be right back with our next set of guests. Thank you again, Deja, for joining me. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com. 